Welcome to Stories from A to Z with Mona P. I'm Mona Pasanoff, and I'm your host. This episode features Joan Dykstra, one of my sisters-in-law. Joan has been living with ovarian cancer for the past 13 years. She has wanted to share her story, so here it is. Be forewarned, it's an emotional one. Hi, Joan. Welcome to my podcast. Hi, Mona. I'm so happy to be here and share the information I would love to share with many women. Excellent. Can you start by just telling us a little bit about where you grew up and where you live now? Well, I actually grew up in Sturgis, Michigan with my parents, Ray and Joyce Gilbert, and three siblings that I have. I still live there now today. I've moved away once, but I've come back to where I grew up. Today, we are going to focus on a very specific topic, your health. You have been living with ovarian cancer for the past 13 years. That in itself is a major accomplishment, as most women don't live that long. The purpose of this whole podcast is for women to hear your story. When and how were you diagnosed? Well, unfortunately, it actually took many years for my diagnosis. I actually had many other medical problems that weren't as serious, that were just things you had to deal with. Then I developed ovarian cancer symptoms, and they kind of just got thrown in with all the other normal symptoms that a lot of people have and things they have to deal with. But after my son graduated in 2006, at the age of 51, I was tired of getting just more tired. I'd come home from school, I'd sit down, and I wouldn't be able to get back up to do anything. And I noticed some pains and physical symptoms just didn't go away. And I had seen a doctors multiple times for all the more common things that you just get treated for. They always blew it off. You're just getting older. It's just, you know, women, as they get older, they have all these issues they just have to deal with, and it's nothing to worry about. That happened for probably a good three years. I had a real bad case of the flu, I thought, and ended up to a trip to the ER, where they treated me for severe nausea flu. The ER doctor had highly recommended that I follow up with my regular doctor and make sure that there was nothing else going on, which I did. But by the time I got into my doctor, which was only maybe four or five days, I was starting to bloat up quite a bit. He took my symptoms seriously and sent me to the hospital for a CAT scan. The scan got done really late at night. So they kept me overnight. And in the morning, my children show up, my husband show up, my in-laws show up, and I'm thinking, what on earth is going on? This must be more than something like the flu. So I think that at first I was in shock because I was totally unprepared for the news I was going to get. I've tried to keep my emotions in check, but my doctor said to me, well, you're going to get your wish. And I thought, I'm going to get my wish. And I had talked to not only him, but other doctors for years for all my female problems about having a hysterectomy. 
And that's what he was referring to. Then he said, why didn't you come sooner? And I was just, I didn't even know what to say because I had been to him multiple times for years and other doctors for years. And they just blew me off like, you know, like they do a lot of women. They just take it that it's just hormonal or it's just this or they're just being, you know, a little too emotional. He ended up telling me that I needed immediate surgery and that I had ovarian cancer probably and that it was extremely serious. I ended up going to U of M because that was where the doctor that could do the surgery was available at the time. And so that's when I had my first surgery. I am now almost, it'll be 13 years in June that I've been fighting. After my surgery, my doctor gave me one to two years to live. At that time, even though I heard it, it was like I couldn't believe that was true. With all my other health problems that I had to put up with in the past had taught me to, to be able to live through things that most people would have not have done a lot of things with, but I just chose to do the best I could and, and just keep going and doing what I could do. They told me that if it came back out of remission in the first year, that I, most people don't make it a year. And then if it comes back after that, then it's still not a very long lifespan, a max of five. I had the surgery. I woke up and I, I felt different. I'm a Christian. And at that time, I felt that God was with me. And he has never left me since. And I owe a lot to him and my faith that helped me get through some of the things that I had to endure. So during the last past 13 years, I've been on chemo regimen. The longest time I have been off was six months. And that was because my daughter was getting married, which I never thought I'd get to see her married. I didn't want people to be looking at me bald. I wanted them to be focusing on her. They let me skip another three months of, of treatment. Time flew, but one of the things that my family did for me was just before I got diagnosed, my sister, my youngest sister, who had ran for years, got my niece into it and my husband. And all of a sudden we went from like to 20 some people going to Disney. And so one of the very first things that I did after my surgery, six months after my surgery, I did what's called the Goofy. And if anybody knows what the Goofy is, you don't need to know the details, but you run a half marathon on one day, and the next day you run a full marathon. My doctor did not want me to go at all. Too many germs, too many this, all these. And finally, I said to her, I said, if you can tell me that this is going to hinder me from being able to live longer, then I won't go. If it's going to really hurt me physically. And she put her head down for a while and she looked up and she said, I cannot tell you that. But you have to take all your own food, blah, blah, blah. And I ended up 
fulfilling that task. And I continued to do walk run for a long time. I continued to do, I started yoga. I started a lot of things that helped me be strong enough to keep fighting the cancer. About the seven year mark, I received the quality of life talk. Totally unprepared again, because I'm a, a fighter, not a just, you know, giver upper. So I had the quality of life talk and I got into a study and it ended up saving my life another few years. And then I got the things aren't looking good talk. And that was 10 times worse than the quality of life talk. And at that point, my doctor gave me options that he was considering, had me write down the names. And he said, I want you to research these three options. And I want you to give me your opinion about which one you'd like to try. And so I did that and we disagreed. When he told me his and then, I, and then he asked me for mine, I said, well, mine was different. And at that point he said, well, I'll be totally honest with you. We don't have anybody to compare you to. There's nobody that has been in your shoes that has lived this long. And he said, I'm going to go with your option because after listening to your reasons, I like yours better and we can still do mine if yours doesn't work. So that's what happened and it worked and that saved my life another couple of years. And then since the time things have gotten a lot worse, a lot faster. COVID was the least thing that I expected to affect me because I had been at home. I had to quit work about six years in. And I'd been at home and I was pretty used to being isolated and COVID didn't really affect me too much until I had some issues that I tried to see a doctor for. And it was an issue that fell in the category of not one that you should bring the patient into the office, that you should just treat them over the phone. And that, um, happened for about nine months before I finally got seen and ended up that my cancer had become active in my lower abdominal cavity again and it ended up in me now being in hospice and um, not given a whole lot of time but I can't complain because God has given me so much more time even though I know the doctors I can't really blame the doctors. You know, COVID was such an unusual thing and all its unusual restrictions. You know, they were just doing the best they could and following the rules that they were supposed to follow. It was about nine months that the cancer grew before I got seen. And the next thing I want to talk about, so through all these years, advocating for yourself is hard. It's, it's hard to stand up for yourself when the doctors don't believe you. And even if they do believe you, they think it's just female hormones. It's just this or that. I guess the biggest thing that I want women to realize at an early age, if you see a doctor and he blows off your symptoms and they continue, see another doctor. And if they do the same thing, see another doctor and continue until you get a doctor 
who believes that you really truly have these symptoms and then they look for an answer because throughout my life i ran into probably about five or six doctors like that and if it wasn't for them i definitely wouldn't be here today i know that some women do have emotional things and i know we are emotional and sometimes that's all it is but if it continues please 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 keep seeing doctors especially now it's much harder with covid you have to be persistent so now that's most of my serious part but i have to say through the years i've had a lot of fun i've experienced a lot of funny things that happened to others and that have happened to me and the one thing that happened to me that happened a lot in the hospital, even before I was diagnosed with my cancer, was that, you know, you're in the hospital, you get put on a bedpan, and then they leave. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but then a visitor comes, and they come in, and they start talking to you, and you're like, okay, how awkward is this? I'm on, the, I'm peeing in the bedpan and they don't even realize it i don't know how they don't hear it or what but it's like okay and then you stop and then they stay and so the nurse comes in to look at you and thinks you're fine and you're still on the bedpan and after they would leave i would laugh and laugh and laugh i never told anybody but to me out of all the funny things that happened that was the funniest that's a good one <laughs> thank you for all of that it's just so telling and so real what are some of the outpourings of love and gifts you have received throughout this time period that helped you to get through it well my very first outpouring was my family and best friends they gave me incredible support they would look up countless things online and tried to give me things to try to help me sometimes they were little things sometimes they were big things you know i consider one of the big things getting into walk running and then some of the things were different things to eat that would help you be stronger it didn't matter if it was big or small i still felt god in my life and that he was the driving person behind all the things that my family and friends would encourage me with and so i still have to give thanks to him for staying with me he's the one who has provided multiple multiple things i mean i was in not only studies i was in research and everything that i did helped me get nothing hurt me and so he has never left my side but the main thing and i'm not trying to change anybody's religious beliefs i'm thankful for all people of all religions i'm thankful for our diverse world we have so as james 1 verse 17 says every good and perfect gift is from above it comes down from the father i know that god is driving and inspiring the gifts that i have received through so many years I felt his presence in my life since I was a small child, but following my first surgery, his presence was undeniable. I could feel him with me. 
He never left my side, no matter what. As did my steadfast, patient husband, my family, and my caring friends. So I've had a lot of support. So I would encourage you when you're going through things, go to the people that make you feel better. Don't go to the people who give you more bad news and that this isn't good and, and put, put things in a bad perspective. Stay positive. Be with positive people. And another thing I've learned about being a Christian through my journey with cancer is that I used to consider myself what most people would be considered, quote, normal Christians. They go to church. They do, you know, at some point they teach Sunday school, maybe, you know, help sing songs and help youth group. And, you know, as your children grow through the church, you go through the different stages. There came a point where I became too sick and too weak to go to church. And it was really hard for me because I had went every Sunday, and sometimes we went twice on Sunday, for 40 years, you know? And it was hard when I couldn't go anymore. But then I realized that God came to me in a different way and called me to serve in other ways. And the coolest thing about that was that it didn't involve anything on my part. I'd be at U of M, I'd see this person sitting there with their parent, a child, or I'd see somebody that was an adult having, you know, you could tell they'd been crying. I'd get this strong sense that I was supposed to go up to this person. Well, now, I'm not really shy, but I'm not a person to always just walk up and start talking to somebody about something really personal. But I would go up and I didn't have to. That I would just introduce myself. And the next thing I know, we'd be interacting. He did this so many times during my years of cancer. And not only sometimes it would shock me because I always thought I was to be the helper. Every now and then, the person at the end would say something and it would be something that was helping me. And so I always had to laugh because he had a good sense of humor that sometimes he threw, threw me in and it was them witnessing and giving me something I needed to think about to help myself be stronger. There are so many people that I saw at U of M that suffered in silence without the support of family or friends and needed a listening ear, a friendly smile, and some encouragement. So I would encourage you, if someone you see meets someone, anyone, show them compassion and desire to understand their struggles. You don't have to give them answers, but when you relate to them and you understand, you help them come to what they need to to handle the situation. And that's what a lot of God did. He just used me to help other people look at their cancer or their fight different. A lot of people, their children wouldn't even give them rides to get their chemo. You know, there's a lot of need for people to be more helpful to people, even if they don't know them and they see that they really are in need. Witnessing to them and sharing my story of one year turned into many, many more. At 51, I've had many miracles in my life. 
Sharing the strength and comfort I find in God can give others the opportunity to turn to him in their fight. Some need a little tough love. You can't just lay there and give up. You need to get up and do something. Fight for your life. There are so many people, particularly when I first started going, that I looked around and there was nobody like me. Everybody was just laying there, like just waiting to die. So sometimes I find that even if you're not a Christian, but you have other strong beliefs, and there are many ways you can help people through moments that will make a difference and turn into years. During those 13 years, I've learned to stand up for myself, be stubborn, not to take no for an answer always, and not to always let them discount my symptoms and feelings. Even with the COVID situation and the hemorrhoids that were actually cancer, I bugged them all the time, begged them to see me. And it wasn't until I had my annual visit that they had to see me. And so they couldn't say no to my face. And that's when it started the, the diagnosis. Of, if a doctor doesn't treat you with respect and listen to your concerns and help you resolve them, please find a new one. There isn't any human on this earth that doesn't deserve to be treated fairly and listened to and not just blown off as a nutcase. I would like people to know that I wouldn't be here without my family, my God, and um, all the many gifts he has given to me and shown me so much love. And for my final part is I trust him with my life and my death. And just recently, I was witness to myself. It was like I said, it wasn't always me witnessing to somebody else. But I can't complain. I had just gotten the bad news that I really didn't have long. And the lady who just happened to be the lady pushing me in the wheelchair, waiting for my husband to get the car. And she asked me how my appointment went, and I told her not well. And she asked a few questions, and she said, I'm sorry to hear that. And the first things that came out of my mouth were, yeah, but I can't complain. And she looked at me kind of odd and she said, did you just say you can't complain? And I said, yes. I said, God has given me 13 more years than I was supposed to have. How can I complain? She said, did you know there's an old, old, old gospel song about I can't complain? And I said, no way. <laughs> and she said, yes. And she leaned up against the wall right in front of everybody at U of M in the lobby and sang me this song, I can't complain. And it spoke to my heart. And I couldn't believe there was a song like that. And it spoke to my heart. And I thought, you know, maybe that's part of the answer too. Don't keep complaining. Keep searching for the answers. Because no matter what, life can be good. Joan, you are an incredible testament 
to the human spirit. Thank Every you. time we think this is it, <laughs> you're like the Energizer Bunny, you just keep <laughs> on going. I want to thank you so much for all of the words that you just shared with us and the emotion and the feeling. This is going to make such a difference for people in their lives, women and men, because yes, it's the woman going through the ovarian or female related cancers, but it's if they have a husband or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whoever, it's that partner that also goes through it with them and the family and all of, and your best friends. Yes. It's important to allow them to nurture and give to you. You've always tried to have a positive spin. You have. And, you know, when we got the call, when you got <laughs> out of the hospital last month and we were like, all right, we rushed to Michigan and that snowstorm, <laughs> we're going to get there to see Joan and celebrate your birthday on February 13. Yes. And then here you are a month later and you're still going. So the yeah. doctors, I don't know, you have some really <laughs> strong guardian angels. You really do. Yeah. And I just feel so fortunate to be able to call you sis. Yeah. Me too. And, and to have been brought into the Gilbert family and to know someone like you who has been such an incredibly funny and <laughs> dynamic and humorous and friendly and inviting person. And I just thank you, Joan. I thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for sharing my story because any way I can help anyone who's out there who needs help, you know, I might not be able to do it personally, but if it gives them the courage to stand up and say, no, there is something wrong with me. And keep going until somebody finds out what it is. Yes. All right. So we're going to end on that note. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Mona. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for making the time to listen today. You can see photos of Joan on my Facebook page and Instagram. Please click to follow me and feel free to leave a comment about what you heard. The next episode will be available two weeks from today, usually on a Monday. Log in to SoundCloud, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and any other podcast platform to continue to listen. If you're ready to share your story, Contact me, and remember, everyone has a story to tell. Till next time, this is Stories from A to Z with Mona P. Mm -hmm.